This is The Playbook. Ask Me Anything is one of my favorite things. I call it BYOQ. You bring the questions. I'll bring the answers. Uh, thanks, Jake. Go ahead. Let's bring up our first question. Let's bring up uh, Dammy Rock. Dammy Rock, if you can please unmute yourself here on Clubhouse and welcome to the room. Thank you so much and welcome back, Jake. Um, my child actually taught me that um, a penguin is actually a bird because I was trying to say it, it, it was a mammal. So I was corrected by a six-year-old. So yeah, it's a bird. Um, so, <laughs> um, hi, David. Um, so, <laughs> how's it going? Um, I want to ask you about, you know, this is a question about how to show up. And, um, you know, it comes from because I, you know, looking at uh, Amelia's Designing Genius course, uh, one of the areas of focus that I've selected is partnerships and relationships. And my question is, I, I guess it's around boundaries, because at what point does, um, and, and this is from your experience, I'm asking, um, at what point does your business relationship move into a personal relationship? And how do you kind of navigate that in terms of the boundaries of what those both those partnerships present? Thank you. Oh, I love this question, and I don't get asked it often. So I actually distinguish things in a different manner. All my relationships are personal. They have varying degrees of relativity that determine the boundaries that I'm going to give those relationships. Uh, some of the things that I've instituted for relationships that I have are, for example, a 520 rule where I'll give five minutes on the phone or 20 minute meetings, interviews, coaching sessions, whatever it may be. And I use time uh, in order to create those boundaries of the relativity of my relationships. And so for me, all relationships are just relative in varying degrees. And one of the components in which I prioritize relationships, determined upon how much attention and intention and time I'm going to give that relationship, is business. I'm going to give more time uh, to those people that uh, help me and I can help or know someone that can help me or I know someone that can help to create more abundance, to create activities I get paid for. And so those people become more relative, but they're all personal relationships. You're a personal relationship to me. And everyone I do business with is a personal relationship. And the relativity of that relationship is determined upon my values of what I want and who I can help and who can help me. Very simply, utilizing time is a dependent variable in order to understand the prioritization and the construct of how those boundaries are formed. Time seems to me is the only dependent variable for boundaries, right? I'm willing, you know, that's why, for example, I spend a minimum of one minute a day with my mom. I spend a minimum of one minute a day with my mom because she's so relative to me. I do it every single day, but I also know that my productivity, accessibility, and gratitude can be diminished if I spend too much time each day with my mom and I have to set boundaries so that I don't allow my mom to bleed me or I don't bleed my mom. Instead, I know by utilizing a minimum of a minute a day with my mom that I can let her know each day what's important to her, which is my health, my happiness, my appreciation for her and my love for her. And I disarticulate that every single day. Do I spend or will I spend tomorrow 10 hours with my mom? Absolutely. 
But every day I spend a minimum of a minute a day setting the boundaries by utilizing time as a dependent variable, knowing that all people that I come in contact with in person, on the phone, via email, media, traditional and social media, are personal relationships that have to be prioritized and then utilize the dependent variable of time in order to effectuate the relativity of the relationship and the boundaries therefore are set. Regardless of whether it's activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for, it doesn't matter to me. It could be activity I planned, activity I don't have planned. There is no work, there is no business to me. There's just activity I get paid for. And there's just relationships that are all personal to me. And I utilize time as a dependent variable in order to create those boundaries, giving the people that are most relative to me minimums of amount of time every day. So 30 minutes with my wife, minimum, 30 minutes with my 12-year-old son, minimum, two minutes a day, minimum with my 23, 21, and 18-year-old daughters, and a minimum of one minute a day with my mom. And then a minimum of 10 minutes a day with other friends that I don't spend every day with that I then may call a list of people during that 10 minutes text or email them that I then create boundaries and yet connectivity of other personal relationships from elementary school, from high school, from college, law school, different activities that I get paid for. I at least spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day staying in connection with those types of people. Thus, again, setting boundaries by the 520 rule. Five-minute phone calls, max. 20-minute meetings, interviews, coaching calls, max. With exceptions, of course. These are minimums, but with exceptions. So exigent circumstances, uh, personal values and prioritizations and re-engineering are all affected by that. But my non-negotiables are based off of personal relationships that are defined by activities and utilizing dependent variables in order to create the boundaries that are necessary because the only limitation I have today is the 24 hours. The meaning that I give what happened in the past is the limitation of the past and i myself and my ego are the only limitation of my future so those are the type of uh, philosophies perspective that i give relationships and boundaries hopefully that was helpful oh my goodness that was a mic drop and um it's given me so much to to consider and eat up so i thank you for that and um i'm so happy i I was like warm and fuzzy inside when you said i'm a personal relationship and i remember having like you know maybe nearly seven minutes when we spoke and that was a bit more than the five so i gave you i told you exceptions are there and you are absolutely welcome please reach out again uh, I try my best to empower people to ask for help. It's the best piece of advice I give myself uh, when I'm 18, 28, 38, 48. I'm turning 55 in January. I'll be giving myself that same birthday advice. Ask for help, you big dummy. Have some radical humility. Give and be of service and value, but don't forget to ask for it as well. Great questions continuing to come in. And Dave, there's a good question on Instagram. that I think it's from someone who wants to be an influencer. His name is Calvio. And the question is, If you were a 21-year-old starting a sales organization, how would you get your team fired up every day? (laughs) Well, first of all, um, there's a difference between firing up your team and inspiring your team. So, you know, remember, fear can be used as a motivator to get you up, get you started, get you back started. 
get you back up. Uh, but I would look to inspire uh, my team each day. And uh, one, I'd have meetings Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like we do. But I would send out a message, a team message every day of inspiration, either intellectually inspiring, intuitively inspiring, or just emotionally in spirit uh, and reminding, remembering, and recollecting the five things that they need to do uh, to be successful uh, in what they do. And one is to make sure that they know that the more people that they stimulate interest from, the more people they transition and share visions with, the more statistically successful they'll be. And the number one thing that I primarily focus on Salesforce, and I give a great training on this, it's called the callback training. See, most people forget the simplest ways uh, to be successful in sales. Uh, for example, credibility. Most people oversell, back and sell, lie, manipulate, cheat, uh, and they think they're doing themselves a favor, but they're actually just guiding people to be more skeptical, to look for other things that aren't true. So going through your practice with a fine-tooth comb of credibility to try to be as an integral with source, with truth that you can be. And not everybody can be 100% truthful all the time. It's inherent, sometimes unintentional, the overselling, the excitement, the you know manipulation that occurs in a sales process. And then two, the emotional connection that's necessary, making sure that we ask people, and I send out to everybody, Jake, and everyone there, an open-ended question template. I have formulated uh, a way in which to get an emotional connection to provide this community of influencers. What do I mean by that? Just asking someone, hey, what are you doing today for solar? What are you doing? What do you know about solar? What are you doing today uh, about stem cells? About what do you think about this? And then ask them, what do you like about it? And listen, what don't you like about it? And then when we can find out what somebody likes and don't like, and we can apply the capabilities, the features and benefits, the skills, the knowledge, and the desire that we have to what somebody likes, then it adds value. And if we can take away some of what someone doesn't like, it adds value. And then if we can articulate the quantitative value of that process of adding value, of adding more of what someone likes or taking away more of what someone doesn't like to exceed what we're asking for, we will have a tremendous amount of statistical success. So the open-ended question template based on credibility, emotional attachment, utilizing features, benefits, capabilities, skills, knowledge, and desire to infuse value, but practice articulating that value to exceed what we're asking for. But none of it matters because you don't even have to get better at doing that. If you don't want to use Dave Meltzer's open-ended question guide and the template that I give you in order to effectuate higher statistical success, you are appreciative and grateful for where you're at right now as a salesperson. Well, guess what will help you? Getting people to call you back. 80% or more of the people never get back to you via in-person, on the phone, via email or media, traditional or social media, over 80%. So imagine if you just stayed the same without improving on your skill sets, on the ability to stimulate interest, transition interest, share a vision, manage and, develop, manage and develop the vision to thrive within a community of influencers, people who want to help each other and people who know people can help you, even if you just stayed the same. Imagine if you just got better at getting people to call you back. So instead of one person out of 10, two people out of 10 got back to you. And staying the exact same in your skills, knowledge, and desire and your capabilities, you would have what? Twice as many sales.
People don't practice their credibility, emotional attachment. They don't use the open-ended question guide, but worse off, they don't utilize the skill set, the practice of getting people to call them back, increasing the quantitative amount of success that you're going to have. I have a call back exercise and training. Happy to share it with everyone. Change your life. Get people to call you back. I also will throw in, just for everyone that has mother-in-laws, the don't call me back way as well. Meaning if you don't want someone to call you back, I got those uh, techniques as well to make sure that somebody doesn't call you back. I call it the mother-in-law clause. Uh, anyway, uh, please learn how to get people to get back to you in person, on the phone, email, media, social, traditional media. You will increase the statistical success without getting any better. But here's the irony, the hidden gem within the context of getting people to call you back. The more people that call you back, the more practice you have, the more practice you have, the better you get at sales anyway. So you're killing two birds with one stone. Even if you don't use the open-ended question guide, even if you don't practice the transition of interest or stimulation or sharing of a vision or articulating the quantitative value to exceed what you're asking for, all the different techniques that we utilize in order to sell, even if you didn't do that, you'll still get better because you'll have more at-bats. It's that simple. One of the most powerful things that I teach people is how to get people to call you back, email you back, DM you back, et cetera. Uh, thank you, Jake. I got fired up again. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. This unwinding routine is going to be difficult. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to drink some tea or something, some, uh, some unwinding <laughs> tea. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> All right. It's 1052. Reset the room. We got time for a couple more questions. All right. Yes, we got eight minutes left here on the Breakfast with Champions. Welcome, everybody. Today's topic was BYOQ. You bring the questions. Dave brings the answers. We got eight minutes left. So let's continue to share the room here on Clubhouse. And then we've got Siga. Siga is going to join here to ask a question. So Siga, if you can please unmute yourself and welcome to the room. Good morning, Jakey Bakey. Good morning, David. Jake, I'm always going to be calling you Jakey Bakey. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Blame David for that. But I think that's a um, really endearing name because it always brings a smile to my face when I hear David call you Jakey Bakey. So, David, um, as I am preparing for my 2023... And I'm working on those end goals that once I accomplish them, my dream will absolutely exist. I'm working on, in order to do that, I'm shifting my identity. Who do I become? Who does Siga, Limitless Siga, have to be in order to accomplish those goals? One of the things I'm keeping in mind is something you always say, the neighborhood that you're in, and of course, the people that you're attracting to that neighborhood, your community. I'm also keeping in mind something that Michael Beckwith says, the world will reflect to you what you truly, deeply believe you are. Your identity will create resonance with the universe. So you have to become that which you want to experience in the world, and then the universe will give you that. So my question is, as I'm shifting my identity to be that Sega, what would be your advice for me on that journey? Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you. Well, one, what I would do is I would look at the defining moments and inflection points, the history uh, that is relative to that trajectory of the Sega you want to be, of what you want to be or think you want to be. 
and make sure that the meaning of all those inflection points, defining moments in historical facts that you utilize and leverage as fuel or as guidance to a future are aligned with where you want to be. Make sure the meaning of different occurrences in your life, inflection points, defining moments are aligned with where that SIGA wants to be in the future. Then utilize the five daily practices in that trajectory of where you think you want to be as well. Know your what every day. What do I want today? Personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise today in that trajectory of who SIGA wants to be in the future, who can help me and who can I help to be that person that SIGA wants to be in the future? And then how best can I get this done by utilizing time? I utilize studying the calendar with lenses of productivity of how much value I can provide, a lens of accessibility of how accessible am I to others and how am I accessing or receiving what I want? And of course, the omnipresent lens of gratitude. How can I find the light, the love and the lessons in all these activities of the day? And if I can do that, if I know my what, my who and my how, I then can know what's important to me today in the trajectory of what Sega wants to be in the future, giving the meaning and alignment synergistic to the past to that trajectory. And now I am equipped to prioritize what I should do now, what I should do next, what I should do next after that, which then applies, allows me to apply my inspiration, apply my intellect and my intuition to increase the acceleration and statistical success of who I want to be. All within the context of having an open mind, open heart and open hands to change my mind tomorrow, determinative upon what I learned today and the meaning I need to give that past in order to effectuate a better SIGA in the future. To attach some sort of certainty to who you want to be in 2023 is a mathematical impossibility. But to attach a meaning to the past that applies to today in a trajectory of who you think you want in the future is absolutely not only possible, probable, but it is your perspective, which is your reality, which allows you to manifest or materialize or monetize who that SIGA is in the future or better. Because overarching all of these practices is plain old faith. To apply that why that you're being protected and promoted in these lessons, the pain, struggles, setbacks, and failures that occur during the day, even though you gave the meaning to the past and synergy with the future that you want, even though you're utilizing what's important to you and prioritizing it, antidote to procrastination and overwhelmness, even all of that, you still are being protected and promoted by the lessons that you've learned in that day. Do not attach your emotions to 2023. Do not attach your emotions to a time frame. Do not create resistance, voids, and shortages in your life. Focus in on the meaning of your past in a trajectory of where you think you want to be in the future. Utilize the daily practices in order to be productive, accessible, and gracious, efficient, effective, and statistically successful to learn as many lessons as you can to find the light, the love, and the lessons each day to put you to a better place, a better situation, to make a better SIGA. That's the secret sauce. I'd be happy again to reinforce those with any exercises, guides, practice guides, books that I have. All you got to do is email me, Sega. You know I'll send those out to you, my dear. 
Thank you as always for the extraordinary question and enlightening us. You're known by the questions you ask, and those are some serious questions I've got today. Thank you, everyone. Jake, I'm going to take one more question online. we got two minutes. Does that sound fair? That sounds fair. We we do have Sally here on Clubhouse. Do you want to take one on Zoom or on Clubhouse? Up to you, of course. Uh, yeah, if Sally's waiting, why not go ahead and we'll do that. Go ahead. We've got two minutes, though. Perfect. Sally, welcome to the room. Thanks, Jake. Thank you, David. So obviously you've gone through some transformation because you, the way you process is so beautiful. So how do you deal with when you get angry? Because I'm sure you still have moments where you get angry. Is it a quick, yeah. you know, like, do you deal with it quickly? I, you yeah. probably process well. Yeah. I just would Oh, what that. a great question. Yeah, no. So I call it minutes and moments. I get angry every day. For goodness sake, I have three daughters, 23, 21, and 18. And anyone that has three daughters, 23, 21, and 18, is challenged with anger, anxiety, fear, uh, guilt, resentment, and offense, uh, separation, whatever it may be. Uh, Listen, I have two teenage daughters. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. I get angry too. So go ahead. Good. So for me, I use time as the dependent variable for anger, anxiety, for separation, for interference. And what does that mean? That instead of trying to resist my anger, outlogic it, analyze it, justify it, blame it, oversell it, back and sell it, lie to it, manipulate it, or cheat it, or even deny it. I have learned the best thing to do when I'm angry is to identify it. And once I identify the need to be angry, anxious, frustrated, guilty, resentful, separate, inferior, superior, frustrated, whatever it may be, once I identify it, now I just get into the practice of just stopping breathing, dropping down to center, to ease. Remember, we're influencers, not influencers. We're not accelerating in the wrong direction, creating void shortages and obstacles through resistance of some sort of ego. We simply just drop down to center and at ease and remind, remember, and recollect. What do you think you're reminding to and with? Remembering to and with recollecting to and with. That's right, the omniscient, all-powerful source that loves you more than your mom loves you and more than you love your own children. Therefore, when I identify my fear, my anxiety, my frustration, my anger, I stop, I drop, and then I roll in the trajectory of where I think I want to be, not where I don't want to be. And if you do this, you'll realize that when you're angry at your girls, like when I get angry at mine, my mind, my body, and soul are on fire. Everybody knows when you're on fire, you got to stop, drop, and roll. So practice identifying that fear and stop, drop, and roll. Spend minutes and moments in that fear. I promise you, you'll accelerate, aggregate, and compound the trajectory of where you think you want to be, this abundant world of more than enough. Be in the flow. Live at ease. Be happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. You are. Let's figure out what you're doing to interfere with it. Make a lot of money. Help a lot of people. Have a lot of fun. Everybody, Reach out to me if you need any help with this. It's david at dmelter.com. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next Friday. We've been doing this for over 23 years for a reason. And we are here to empower others, to empower others, to be happy. Thank you, everyone. Jake, close out the room. I appreciate everyone. Thank you.